number of years ago, I was with a group of seminarians, and we were quite a ways from here, down in a parish in the archdiocese, the south side of the city. And we're talking with a group of parishioners, and somehow Mary had come up, and she was the topic of conversation. Uh, and as often happens when you get a group of seminarians together, they talk to each other an awful lot, and I was trying to encourage them to let others into the conversation. But the question came up over whether or not Mary cried. And uh, did Mary ever cry? And so going back and forth, and the young theologians were willing to concede that maybe at the foot of the cross, Mary shed a tear or two, but probably you know, for the rest of her life, because she was the mother of our Lord, blessed virgin and all of that, they just couldn't quite bring themselves to think that Mary had ever cried. So sitting in this group of parishioners, there was one kind of stately woman. She was a grandmother, many children and grandchildren. And eventually they got around to asking her a question. Said, you know, well, what do you think? You know, do you think Mary ever cried? And just, she hadn't said a word the whole conversation. And she just kind of paused for about 10 seconds. And then she said, well, I want you guys to tell me, did Mary ever give birth to a child? And they jumped in, yes, of course. She gave birth to the incarnate Lord. You know, it was the greatest thing that ever happened in salvation history. She paused about 10 more seconds, and she said, well, you know, having a baby really hurts. It hurts like heaven. She didn't say heaven. It really hurts. You know, and then she just stopped. She didn't say another word. She'd said her piece. And the guys just kind of looked at each other and then jumped into the next theological point. And the reason I'm sharing that is this feast, the Feast of the Assumption, sometimes I think can be misinterpreted, adding again to this sort of legacy that Mary is superwoman or superhuman and that she's assumed into heaven. But what exactly does that mean? And probably seen depictions of Mary just sort of floating up from her deathbed. In the Eastern tradition, they don't talk about the Assumption, they talk about the Dormition, Mary going to sleep. But what we really say, without getting into the how of it, is that Mary was protected from the corruption of death, basically. And I don't think you have to push it any further than that. She was really human, uh, and she certainly truly died. But the way she experienced heaven was much more immediate somehow than you and I do. But don't get hung up on that whole question of, well, did Mary not have to do this, or did she do that, or how did that happen? Because the real heart of the Feast of the Assumption is the heart of what Mary brings us in general. And so, for me, the Feast of the Assumption is the Feast of Freedom, if I can put it that way. And what I mean by that is, it's those things that we struggle with the most. Certainly physical things, things that make us physically cry, but even more than that, those emotional things, those stresses, those strains, those sources of disappointment or shame or embarrassment, they so often confine us, right? They define us in some ways. And we come to see ourselves through the lens of whatever it was we couldn't do or whatever it is we've had to endure unjustly, maybe justly because of bad choices we made, we can be confined in so many different ways. 
And so by celebrating the assumption of Mary, that somehow Mary was not subjected to the same sort of physical breakdown that you and I know at the moment of our death, it's a way of really upholding the fact. And I'm not denying that the basic definition, yeah, that's the definition of the assumption, but if all you do is get fixated on that, you're like my young theologians debating over whether or not Mary could have shed a tear as if she shed a tear would somehow have denigrated who she was. It's celebrating Mary's freedom. And we don't have to sort of guess what that looks like because scripture gives us so many beautiful examples. And it starts right with the Annunciation, right? Hey, Mary, you're gonna have a child. You really have no idea how this is happening. She gets a little explanation, but she has nine months to think through what exactly does that mean? Who am I in the eyes of the Lord? But think about it. Think about it if Mary hadn't received that the way she did. That could have become for her or for some other woman or man in a different situation, a source of shame, a source of, hey God, why are you doing this to me? Why couldn't you choose somebody else? This is really difficult. This is messy. This doesn't fit my script. And how many times over the course of Jesus' life as he's growing up, could she have gone in a different direction, right? They lose him in the temple, they find him, and she literally says, you know, we're heartbroken. We are so worried looking for you. Why didn't you let us know where you were? And he comes right back. He says, what's true? Well, didn't you know I have to be in my father's house? I can get to yours later? And that could have been a source of anger or frustration or bitterness, confining Mary, right? She was a certain type of mother. Jesus on his 21st birthday. You know, you know, you ditched me in the temple all those years ago. That's the least you could do for me? We know what it's like sometimes to hold grudges and be defined by them. And all throughout her life, told Mary pondered this in her heart, not because she's superwoman, but because she had a freedom, a freedom to say, maybe I don't understand exactly what this means, Maybe at an affective level, this is hard or difficult, but I can still trust. I can still open myself up in vulnerability to God, to her son, to her husband, to all the other people in their circle. You see it powerfully in the gospel. That's why I'm really glad we're here at the vigil and not tomorrow. Come back tomorrow, that's fine. But we get our own gospel tonight. And it's the gospel where, again, if you didn't know any better, if you didn't know this was a gospel and we're in church, you might think, wow, is that what I'd want to hear from my son or daughter? Somebody calls out, blessed the womb that bore you. What a beautiful thing to say about Mary. And Jesus doesn't deny it for a moment, but immediately he turns attention. No, blessed is the one who hears the word of God and acts upon it. Now, Mary is in that class par excellence. I mean, she certainly fits that description. But still, the freedom in Mary's heart, if it got back to her that that's what Jesus had said, and she probably knew that's the sort of thing he said, the freedom to say, no, that doesn't belittle me, that doesn't define me, that doesn't confine me. There's a beautiful liberation in that. That doesn't come automatically, I guess, is all that I'm trying to say. 
And so if we really want to celebrate the assumption, it's that Mary is not defined by those confining possibilities because ultimately death is the ultimate confiner for all of us. It's that one thing that is going to limit our unlimited freedom, if we even imagine we had it. And so even at that very moment, Mary is not defined by external circumstances, not because she's superwoman, but because throughout her life she practiced what that looks like in everyday type decisions. And so if we want this to be something real for us and not just a just, it's an important thing, but not only a celebration of how amazing Mary was, and we're just sort of sitting off in the bleachers saying, well, that's good for you, but it's not for me. If we want to enter into this and really allow it to be our own feast day, because I think Mary would want nothing more than that, then look for the opportunities in this 20th week of ordinary time. What will the little opportunities be this week to have some freedom in the face of confinement? And we can just ask ourselves with brutal honesty, what's going on in my life right now that is defining me in a not so attractive way? What are the things I'm resenting? What am I bitter about? What am I perhaps feeling overly sad or despairing about? What are those things that seem to be trapping me, where things aren't going the way I'd like them or desire them to be? Then simply to ask ourselves, well, what would it look like if I took a decision against that fear? What would it look like if I extended myself in vulnerability, even though I've got a fear that says, don't do it, don't go there, don't say yes when the opportunity comes? When you're spoken of in this way, let that be fodder for resentment. Allow that to define who's good and who's bad in your world. And instead, go in another direction. It's not easy. But in the little everydayness of life, those opportunities always come along. And I think we know that. So to make this wonderful Marian feast a day for us to celebrate for ourselves as well, do what Mary did and don't let ourselves be defined by the limitations of life that inevitably come.